back to 64, a chess podcast. I'm your host, David, coming at you live, as always, from Champaign, Illinois. Joining me on the podcast is one of the kindest, smartest, friendliest people I've ever met in the chess world. She is a nine-time British chess champion. Please welcome to the show one of the best commentators in the game, Yovanka Hauska. Welcome to the show. Oh, thank you, David, for that amazing introduction. Uh, thank you so much. I wasn't expecting that. Uh, you two are also very kind, very funny. I can throw that back at you. We we do have a special show today. There's a lot that's happened in the chess world since I have disappeared. Um, the World Cup is happening, which Yovanka is doing commentary for. I think you're still doing a couple more days of commentary, right? Or are you all done? No, I, I, I'm i all done. So I, I kicked everything off with Simon for the first uh, rounds. And uh, then we kind of dived in when the women were playing the quarterfinals and the, the men were fighting for those quarterfinal spots. And uh, now I think it's the turn of uh, the other grandmasters, let's put it that way. And I, first of all, I've said this on the show before. I think you and Simon are like my favorite current duo working in chess. Like I just I love watching you guys do your thing. It was also very awesome to meet you guys in Berlin, of course. But um, yeah, to be honest, I have not really been following uh this tournament too closely but it, well, my strategy for following a tournament like this is to basically pick like one or two players in each wing and just kind of root for them so i was rooting for sarah cottom just because i think she was you know she just had this transfer from spain i was kind of curious to oh, to spain sorry not from spain um so i was watching her and then also i was following peter Svidler. and uh then the guy who beats him ends up ends, ends up probably gonna get a candidate spot so um but yeah i mean when it comes to like actually you know, this isn't like the candidates or the world championship where you're watching the same thing. You have to bounce around. So, like, how do you actually, how do you actually manage that as a commentator? It's a difficult one, actually. The first rounds were especially uh, tough because there were so many participants. There were 309 players. So here it was really critical that we had a production team in the background kind of telling us, go to this game. This is super exciting. And of course, like you, we also have our personal favorites, people that we've known, people that we've met, that we like, perhaps our chess idols as well. So we do, I do kind of, especially if Simon is in control, I kind of do nudge him towards the people I know. But uh, it, it was it was a difficult job, that one. But uh, it was a lot of fun. And I, I also have a personal thing that I love to root for the underdogs. I mean, that's the Brit in me. And so when an underdog is doing especially well, then I'm there. I'm commentating on the action. And it's very, very exciting to follow. And talking about your personal favorites, my personal favorites were Vasil Ivanchuk. Yeah. <laughs> Somehow I really wanted him to take down Magnus. Now Magnus is of course the goat, you know, he's a legendary player, but a piece of me really wanted to see Vasil just kind of rip up the rule book and shake things up. Yeah, it was it was kind of wasn't even clear if he'd be able to go because I know that the like Ukrainian government basically said to him you can't go and then Magnus Hikaru Fabiano like the whole chess world signed some open letters saying please let this legend come play in this tournament and then sure enough he plays against Magnus didn't quite have the juice but yeah it was it was very exciting for sure to I I, I did uh follow both of those games um and yeah he just kind of came up short unfortunately but uh that's the thing when you have chess heroes and they start to get a little older and it's uh you know it's like Simon I almost beat Simon in Berlin because you know I think he's getting <laughs> up there maybe next time <laughs> 
<laughs> that was a classic moment. Yeah. <laughs> I still remember your face when you won material. It was yeah. like, yay. <laughs> but uh, yeah, absolutely. No, but he did win, though. <laughs> Just to bring it down. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> no, actually, yeah. I mean, it was a great game. I, I didn't want to play chess for weeks after that. I had to like be convinced by my friends to uh, to play with them because uh, oh. it's demoralizing. Simon is dangerous. You know, I actually think Simon is one of the greatest attacking players that ever is. He has such a feel for the initiative. And you do feel that there is a super grandmaster in him. But uh, it, just when it comes to attacking and he's, you know, when you think about it, I mean, he was the, the first person to come up with pushing the age pawn. And it's very difficult to do something different. And he was ridiculed for that a lot. And like one of my like my favorite commentating stories is when I first said yes to commentating Gibraltar. It was alongside Simon, so I was very lucky. Uh, all my friends said, oh, Simon and his age pawn. He's always pushing Harry. It's no good. Go there and try to refute it. Just show him once and for all. And I kid you not, every time we kind of considered pushing that H-pawn up the board, it was fantastic. And he has a way of making it work. And then I realized actually, there's something here. And it came as no surprise that in fact, Alpha Zero started doing this type of stuff later and everyone's now doing it and it is standard. Yeah, it's, I mean, uh, it's even like, now it's gone so, like Magnus had this G pawn, like he played rook g8 with the obvious idea of playing g4 or something in this first game against Abasov. And these are like the kind of things that nobody would dare to play. Um, you would be ridiculed, but I mean, engines make it look so easy. But like, yeah, there are guys, I think also um Bassman, right? The the English player, mm -hmm. he was also known for, I mean, he I think he passed away recently, but but um yeah, but uh he was also known for playing like really crazy ideas like that, right? You would know better than me. Yeah, he did. He absolutely did. I remember like a long, long time ago, I was playing him and I was like, oh, I know that I'm going to face G4. So what can I play? He's going to go G4, G5. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to come up with a strategy. When he goes G4, I'm going H6. <laughs> that pawn is not stepping up further. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it was a draw. It was a nice, uh, well-fought draw. I, I don't remember too much of it. But yeah, I mean, but that just goes to show that it's those mavericks it's those pioneers who are doing things differently those are the people that you do need to watch out for and you need to start looking at their games like i, I also i was really surprised um to, actually during the world either the blitz or the rapid well magnus played g4 and then he had actually kind of like drawn from the pattern recognition and it was an old Fisher game that he had in mind where Fisher had kind of tucked the king to h1 and then gone g4 and rook g1 and Magnus is like yeah you know I have time for king h1 let's just go g4 immediately I, I can tell you I was watching on the Norwegian Christmas show or New Year's show and I almost fell off the sofa <laughs> when I saw that move. And the Norwegians have this beautiful word, a beautiful sound more like, which is like, ha? Huh? And when I saw it, I was like, ha? Huh? What on earth is this? And, uh, and then, of course, when, when, of course, Twitter and social media start kind of cross-referencing the game, I'm like, oh, okay, that is some serious hard work and also serious memorization. Yeah. That's I mean, why he's a goat. Yeah. Among many other reasons, too. Um, I mean, the engines have kind of validated a lot of these things. But, like, obviously, when you're a commentator, you have the evaluation bar right there. And I know some yeah. tournaments, 
by chess.com likes to have it. I know some other organizers don't like to have it. How do you like work with the evaluation bar? Um, because I, it's, it's become I actually such think a... the evaluation bar is actually very, very important when it comes to chess commentary. The engine, I'm always a little bit hesitant to use the engine. Sometimes I do, and I try to be very honest about this. And But the, the evaluation bar is so important because it adds to the drama, it adds to the storytelling, because suddenly it would just... But of course, this isn't an accurate... This isn't an accurate evaluation bar that I'm referring to because when it shoots up in one size favor then you're just like whoa what is happening here and there's like obviously visible excitement and there is that kind of element like has the player noticed that there's a big possibility on the board and and it's it's quite nice because if, if you don't naturally see it often it means that the computer has seen something very technical very you know very forward looking and yeah maybe it's not maybe it's not visible to a human but uh then you can kind of use the computer as a kind of judge uh, or like a kind of oracle to kind of tell you the future and i think that is quite nice but the one of the reasons why i'm hesitant about using an engine and when i do use an engine i always try to be honest about it is because i remember it was during one of my early shows during the champions chess tour we were using engines and a grandmaster gave me very good advice and he said you were using engines and you were being very harsh on the, the grandmaster in question yeah he could have won a second pawn uh sorry he could have won a pawn back but if you hadn't been using an engine, you would have noticed that what was very important to this grandmaster was maintaining the blockade, maintaining the balance. And the human nature is very unwilling to change things. And I was like, yeah, you're right. I was quite harsh because I was like, yeah, he should just take the pawn. Why is he not taking the pawn? And I thought about it. And I thought, you know, be careful about using an engine because you do lose the human perspective. Yeah, 100%. And that's, I also think another thing that I've noticed, okay, obviously I'm not nearly as strong of a player as you, but something that I've noticed, um, the, the example that first comes to my mind is it was one of these brilliant world championship games in April. It was the Ding-Nepo match where Ding had this like incredible checkmating idea um, with like with the queen sacrifice. These is, I think he pushed like D6 or something like that. Um, and mm, the commentators yeah. were, were David Howell and Anish. And I'm certain if they didn't have the evaluation bar, the engine sitting there, if they had just sat there and tried to think about from the human perspective, why would Ding play a move? Um, they would have seen this beautiful checkmate idea. But because, you know, they probably were following the evaluation bar, or the engine, and they see some kind of drop, then for them, it's like, oh, what's happening here? What's happening? What's happening here? And I think that like the human side, well, I mean, that that's what chess has been all about in the last 30 years, right? It's balancing the the silicon heart with the human mind, right? Like that's yeah. what the engine preparation is. And I mean, you going back to like Gary against deep blue um, and, you know, the, uh, even like these online matches that like, like the Gary Kasparovers of the world, or I think Irina crush was like on the, helping the opposite team and stuff like that. I'm reading my history, but I guess my point is like, there's that, that's a very difficult balance. And as computers just get better and better and better, I, I'm always curious to see how like the commentators handle it because chess is getting more popular too, right? So yeah, chess chess is definitely getting more popular, and yeah, like you say, it is a tightrope that you have to walk between the silicon engine and the human mind, 
And one thing I just kind of wanted to say to that is that does add this perspective that now the audience knows everything. You know, they can look at the engine and they can be very damning in their criticism of the players. I mean, and also I remember that game in question and I remember how I think it was whoever, I can't remember who missed the checkmate. I think Ding missed the checkmate and how everyone was reporting, well, big miss. Yeah, but it was actually really difficult to see. And, you know, we have the benefit of checking, turning on these silicon things and it will just tell us, yep, yep, all, all solved. But the human mind isn't quite programmed like that. We have certain biases and it is difficult as well when you're under pressure and also in the heat of the moment just to kind of go, okay, let me go into pure calculation phase. So, yeah, I, I think we have to be careful and very mindful of what we put out there when we're commentating or critiquing the top grandmasters games or anyone's games actually yeah. but i think i mean as far as commentating goes like i said before you simon david howell champions chess tour folks um kaya as well i want to give kaya a shout out but you guys are really like i think you guys did a lot during the pandemic to really kind of revolutionize the chess commentary um also i mean that it helped that the tournament format was a little bit faster but um, there was definitely it definitely felt like some sort of generational shift in hindsight because that's become kind of the the modern standard. Even the chess.com events for longer tournaments, I think that just the way that they explain the moves and the just with all the, the extra animation stuff. I mean, I remember watching chess.com commentary for for world championships and uh, like a couple of years ago, it was completely different. So I I I, I do want to kind of give you and I have told Simon as well, like your flowers, you guys. You know, you guys deserve a lot of credit for that. Oh, thank you. You know, it was, <laughs> I remember actually like talking to David about this job and he was saying, oh no, they're going to shoot me if I use notation. And I was like, oh, how on earth can they expect us to do a chess broadcast without using notation? That is just ridiculous. Yeah. And anyhow, I was like, okay, it's never going to happen. And somehow it did. And, and and a shout out to David and Simon, who are just amazing, and Kaya as well. Uh, they're just amazing at uh, bringing the audience to life. And I can tell you, it was difficult. It was like a big like mind shift in order to suddenly describe chess and just to uh, give it a lot of emotional impact. Like, for instance, like the knight is on the edge of the board, is breaking the rules. Why are they breaking the rules? And that would be the kind of commentary that we would do. And it was very funny because I was just expecting beginners and people who kind of vaguely knew the game to be into it. I did not expect the reaction from grandmasters who literally like, oh, wow, you guys are so fun and entertaining to follow. And one of the things, I don't know whether it's a compliment or not, is I said, you know, we can just enjoy the banter and we can just enjoy those, those big moves. And the rest of it is just entertainment. And uh, we like the difference in styles. Like David is very much careful positional genius, and I was like, "No, nah, come on, David, <laughs> yeah, push those pawns forward, be bold." <laughs> and, I, and it was so funny that often the mistakes that I suggested were played by the players, and they would be like, "I hate that move." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But you know now, like uh, there's since Chess.com bought Chess24, so now there's been a whole new cast of characters down in the Oslo studio, right? So like, how do you? Yeah. Like as a commentator, I think it's awesome. 
I really do think it's awesome that there's so many. I mean, there's enough to go around for everyone. I, I don't believe in protectionism or getting jealous. Oh, no, I, certainly. I just think that there are more people, more people talking about the game and just sharing their enthusiasm, their love for the game. It's just absolutely incredible. And I love seeing people like James Canty third and Tanya and, of course, Robert Hess and Dania. Dania, of course, is amazing. I mean, all these guys are amazing. But uh, I just like that they're there in the studio and they can also enjoy like the positive vibe and the atmosphere that it is there in Oslo. And also, I, I think the general public should not be aware of these people because they're such tremendous characters. Like James Canty, I mean, I'm always like bowled over by how hard he works. I love his expressions. Yeah. I have to copy them. I, like we after the races. Like yeah, we are after the races, folks. It's a porning game, and uh, also Tanya with her enthusiasm and her energy. I don't. I, at times, I'm always in awe about how eloquent she is at getting a point across. And it's easy to you know, it's easy just to forget that she is a strong player in her own. Very right, strong she's player. So great. Yeah she's great at hosting as well and then when you see her like just giving out the mood you're like oh tanya yeah <laughs> you are really really strong i am and uh, dania and hess they have just a wealth of chess knowledge but dania i i liked commentating alongside because he's into accents and you know me i tend to copy whoever i'm with so if someone's serious i might tend to like be a little just a little bit more serious but with mm -hmm. dania you know it's like accents ahoy i can't help myself yeah and I mean, him too i mean he does the russian one and uh he'll like imitate like all these random gms i watch the stream every now and then um yeah it it is also like it, it's it's kind of crazy that like so for some of these events you'll have someone like narratisky commentating or like david howell who are like cream of the crop could probably be competing alongside like they could be playing in some of these like groups and instead they're like you know commentating for the for the good of the people um so we are blessed really we are blessed yeah. because when you can understand how their mind works uh, it is just something else because I, I remember I was asked once about David they were like is he using an engine and to be honest with you I couldn't tell you if you were using an engine with a lot of grandmasters it's very clear yeah yeah mm -hmm. there's an engine running in the background but with David, he's so good and so quick that you think, yeah, actually, I don't think he is. Yeah. So, you know, it is a pleasure. And, you know, also just now with the World Cup, we saw Peter Leko, Dania also commentating. I mean, it's just a light. And Simon is just very special. I love him. I the love best. Him a bit. So yeah. I love his humor. And I, whenever you commentate alongside Simon, you are guaranteed to have a great time because he will keep you entertained with not just the chess, but of course his jokes and his stories. And, and you've known Simon for a very long time too. Right? Yeah. <laughs> we, we played each other. Yeah. We were kiddies. And I, I remember the very first time I played him. And I, I, I don't know, I, I would think that we were both under turn and I got greedy and I grabbed a pawn as per usual. And he trapped my queen. And I just remember thinking, oh, I'm going to lose. And then, you know, something kind of happened that day that I was like, no, I'm not going to lose. And so, yeah, it was a queen down. But then, you know, it was a queen for a rook and then a queen for a rook and a pawn and then another pawn. And then and then he offered me a draw and I was like, yeah, I have it. Uh -huh. 
because <laughs> at that time I didn't really understand that yeah. actually <laughs> you can get compensation for the queen Simon oh. did though yeah well um I, there is something special about that though right because you know now it must be like what I was three decades or something of you guys like just being aside each other in the chess world now you're working in the same places either it's online or in person i mean that's i think that's something like you don't really see that with any other sport like it's it's just chess that you could like really work in the same sport for what is it like something like 30 plus years right that's crazy that that is crazy and also the funny thing is that you don't have to have to be the same age I mean, because normally in like in sports, you'd be like, oh, well, you know, you have two 30 year olds, two 40 year olds. But here, you know, you could have someone who's 60 working alongside someone who's 30, but they've kind of been in the game for just as long as each other. They've even kind of developed as well. Um, but uh, yeah, it's just it's just chess is unique like that. And yeah, it's really special. special because of its diversity. Uh, I I mean, I'll say it and I'll say it again. Chess is a very welcoming world. It's very open. It's very friendly. And I love the fact that it, it tends to accept everyone. And I, I've had a lot of friends say to me, you know, in the mainstream, they found it difficult to make friends. They found it difficult to integrate. But a chess, never a problem. I think that's actually... Uh kind of a, a good segue for something else I kind of wanted to bring up, um, which is, you know, FIDE recently passed this uh, new regulations on transgender players. Uh, and this is all kind of happening in the wake of something uh, sort of unprecedented, which is um, well, this obviously started with Jennifer Shahadi um, speaking out against Alejandro Ramirez. But since then, uh, the French Chess Federation, a bunch of women, the French Chess Federation signed the open letter. This was picked up by like major news outlets, basically condemning sexism. And now you have on Twitter, Sabrina Chavanas, um, who's also a very strong player, kind of starting to tell some stories about her experiences, I think, in the English Chess Federation about um, sort of sexual misconduct and things that have occurred to her. So um, it's a pretty wild. Uh, I, I, I would like to agree as well um i haven't been in the chess world nearly as long as you have obviously um i i i you obviously you want the chess world to be a very accepting place but this is kind of like i said unprecedented so you know as, as a woman working in the chess world for so many years i'm kind of curious um what's your immediate take on all this yeah it's a very complicated subject um because like you said and like i said the chess world is overall a very great place to be it's a very great place it's a great hobby as well it's a great sport and people are very progressive people are very friendly and you can meet everyone from you know whatever age whatever culture so i want to state that first but um as stories from jennifer and also now sabrina and also the french women i mean those stories that they're sharing are horrifying there's there's no other word for it i mean they're very scary and i think uh, and they also come from a point of frustration because clearly everyone has complained uh to someone and they've not been listened to they've not been heard they've made, been made to feel small and this is something i can relate to in the chess world because when i ever whenever i made a complaint I was made to feel like, well, your voice is not very important because you don't have a very high rating. And this person who has a much higher rating than you and much more important in the chess standings, well, we are going to protect them, not you. And that's something that I lived with for a while. And then 
I can say around about 2018, I got very angry. I got very angry because I was thinking, I shouldn't, you shouldn't tell a 20 year old this kind of stuff. You shouldn't tell them that they're not worth anything. And that they're because of their rating, you know, why did they deserve conditions? Why did they deserve to be, you know, treated? Ask what why did they they have to fight for absolutely everything? And uh that that is wrong. And when it comes to the Me Too movement, I do feel it's exactly linked, that whole thing that the rating is tied into your status. And so we see federations perhaps protecting people who have very high ratings, very high influence, just because they have this big standing and they just say, well, you know, we're not going to protect the women. And that that is a problem. And I, the way that I feel that we can handle this is by being open. We need to have this culture of openness. We need to not like hide in the silence and the shame because uh, some a lot of Sabrina's stories really resonated with me and you know especially those inappropriate comments that were made being made to to her when she was very young and I've I had the same kind of comments but not when I was super young but when I was like 19 20 quite naive and I was kind of thinking this is normal and it's it's not normal you know when I played it when I just joined the team I mean I it was I was surrounded by comments this is not necessarily within the English team I just want to clarify that but I was in an atmosphere where everyone was kind of saying women's chess is just chicks chess ha 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 and whatever you know played a bad game oh well that's just chicks chess and they would say well the problem with women is that you don't concentrate on the game. You're more interested in how pretty you look when you're making a move. And I was like, uh... and at the time, because it was said in a very witty way, I was like laughing along. And so this is why when I look back, I look back on anger. With And this is also why I empathize. And I will always give my support to women speaking out because I feel it's come from a place of frustration, desperation. Let's stop. Let's listen. And let us do something about it. Because only if we share our stories that we can actually bring this type of behavior out into the light. And I can assure you, it's only it's just a few individuals who are doing these things. It's not the it's not the majority of people. Um I can tell you, you know, when I went to France and played in my first international tournament, they were like, you're a woman grandmaster. That's incredible. We're going to give you conditions. And I applied for them at the last minute. And whereas at home in the UK, where I perhaps should have been treated by some people with a bit more respect, they were like, well, 23.90, that's a low rating. You don't really deserve that much. So... Yeah, what I'm trying to say is that we do, the only way I think that we can fight these negative feelings, the shame that we feel, is by just having it open, just expose these things. And I do think that we need to set up a body or some kind of, some we can kind of regulate these type of things. And we can also hold federations to account. Um, like one basic thing is, I think every country who's registered with FIDE, who's sending an open team to the Olympiad, should send a women's team too. 
And I, I think if they're not sending women's teams, then why not? Yeah, no. And and how about make sure that the women's team and men's team also get the same conditions while they're there too? Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, heard... that is a very valid point. No, I've no, heard totally. stories. <laughs> You know. Yeah, no, and it's it's a story that I can relate to. Like, oh, like, okay, this is this is the truth. In 1998, when I was playing the reserve board for the women's team, I was paid more than in 2008 uh, for the women for board one in the England team. And it, this has been a battle that I've been fighting. Oh, I'm not I'm not sure whether I've won that battle yet, but I mean, I know for a long time I was really arguing that every single woman player representing England should be paid this is like kind of one of the things that frustrates me um watching there are a lot of like there are a lot of people today and this is a good thing generally to be clear a lot of people very excited about women's chess very excited about you know the next generation of superstars the Aleens and now the like Nurgil Salimovas like those kinds of people the people who are up and coming that's that's great but um I think that this like unbridled positivity about the women's sport, they're like, ah, you're a woman, you play chess. That's great. Um, like there, there are very concrete issues that I think women in chess need to be addressed. And it's kind of easy to say these kinds of things. Like this is how you support women in chess, but there's like things like funding and, um, you know, making sure that female chess players with young kids, like can make sure that their kids are supported at a daycare for example this is something i learned about this is something i never even thought about but this is like duh like you know because also so many chess players come from more you know traditional cultures where women regardless of their profession are expected to you know raise the kids 100 percent of the time so like that this is something that these are like concrete things that, that people should be advocating for and but that's a lot harder than to just say yeah i'm, I'm watching every game of the the women's world cup which is great like people should do that um but like there's like there's a lot of, you know, and, and tying it to the transgender thing, like the funniest hypothetical scenario I've seen is like, oh, well, what if Magnus Carlsen becomes Magnusa Carlsen and like decides to like dominate women's events? And I'm like, excuse me, like, did you realize like the World Cup this year, which he is dominating, has like a one point eight million dollar prize fund and the World Cup for women has like six hundred thousand dollar prize fund or something like that? Yeah. Like, yeah. like, I mean, we play for a lot lower money than in open tournaments and again it's justified because of the rating it's like well you know what do you expect and everyone what well, i don't want to say everyone let's uh let's uh actually be specific a few people are kind of very vocal that that is what we deserve so i mean it's just ridiculous you know that if someone a top player transitioned that they would suddenly find themselves in the women's section competing for a lot less money as you put it um and I, I just don't buy any of the arguments that people put forward. They say, well, it's a matter of fairness. What happens if your average, I don't know, 2200 transitions and becomes female? I, I, I honestly feel that there's a space for everyone. And I also, from what my understanding of sports as well as chess as well, in, in order trans, to transition, you kind of have to just do take like two years worth of hormones you also have to go to therapy if you want gender reassignment surgery it doesn't just happen because you know someone just decides to grow their hair long put their hair up in a ponytail and go i'm a woman no that's not how it works at all i mean there's a lot of processes involved and i think i mean 
absolutely everyone should be welcome. And if you identify with it as a woman and you're taking steps to reassign yourself, then absolutely, I, I will be there at the table. I will welcome you into Women's Tournament and I will do everything I can to make it a safe space. And speaking to a lot of women, we feel the same. Yeah, I, I think, you know, it's you haven't really seen a lot of professional players talk about this at all. And I I think mostly, you know, people come from different cultures. I guess some of them don't want to get a mob of, I, in either case, they don't want people but I, I i don't know <laughs> but I, I there's so many things you know yeah. you're completely right there's so many things we don't talk about like for instance in women's sports and in chess we don't talk about hormones we don't talk about how we can help ourselves i mean there is no culture of uh, openness <laughs> and and i feel that that has to change it's kind of holding us back and when it comes to transgender you know I, I was so happy I just want to give a big shout out to the U.S. Chess Federation to the French Chess and the German German Chess Federation and of course the English Chess Federation and all the others that openly said you know what we are not changing our policy we are absolutely welcome welcoming trans women into women tournaments so it made me very happy it, but it's it's not even clear to me how FIDE plans are. Like, I don't think they yeah. have a plan for con- like they, there's this this whole thing. Like, first of all, I don't ever. Unfortunately, I don't ever see like a transgender player even reaching prominence in like the women's game. Uh, be, you know, not because of their ability or whatever, but simply because um, you know, we have more tournaments Does happening some... in like Dubai and Russia right. will come back eventually. To, yeah but also i mean you also have to think about the hostilities such people um such trans women are unfortunately facing so for instance if a tournament is held in a country that outlaws this type of stuff they can't play yep and i i just i i really um I wish the situation were different. I wish that every culture, every country were welcoming, but sadly, this is not the case. And again, the, again, there's countries that are not welcoming to gay people and they go, well, I would love to play, but unfortunately, it's not really possible. And I, I, I just think that society as a whole is... It could do better. Let's put it like that. It could do better. It could be a bit more humane and it could be kinder. And I I feel that the chess world, instead of just kind of hypotheticizing and coming up with all these scenarios, it could go, you know what, we are going to listen to you and uh, we're going to listen to your voices, your stories. And women, we are also going to consult with you as well. And again, Let's come up with something together. I really do believe in togetherness. It should not be kind of a certain demographic of people deciding what is best. <laughs> that, that's something that really bugs me when like five people, all of a sudden age, all of a sudden gender, just go, well, we know best and you know mm-hmm. nothing. And we're going to make policies that affect you. In my, in my world, that is wrong. I think also that like to I don't want to say funny, but it is kind of funny to me. Like, there's been like a whole month of just bombshells in certain federations about things happening, and this is Fide's response. Like, this is how they say they're you know protecting the women's game. Like, you know, 
there are rapists running around federations uh and nobody is you know n- nobody's being sanctioned You're just kind of leaving that like i i saw ramirez played a tournament in mexico and a couple of concerned mothers in mexico like saw that he got removed he got removed from the tournament last second but this is like you know this guy while there's investigations against him just just you know maybe the maybe you know, maybe everything is I, I which i don't believe to be clear but let's say in some hypothetical world like all of this comes out as totally false well maybe we should still have the you know the kind of necessary investigations to ensure that people are are being heard and then make that decision but you can't just have a guy you know accused of like shocking behavior like running around chess tournaments like and this is something that fide should be handling considering how prominent the accusations are yeah you know, this isn't like some, you know, random place out of their jurisdiction. This is like very much something they could take care of. But instead, like, this is what they want to do. They want to talk about kind of hypothetical scenarios of transgender women running around tournaments and playing chess, God forbid, right? Like, yeah, <laughs> no, I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't make any sense to me. And it's, uh, and it just came out of nowhere uh, as well, you know, and like you say, there's been this climate of, uh, of people making complaints and uh, harassment and sexual allegations against certain people. And then suddenly this happens. So I agree the timing is suspicious and I do wonder whether there is a strategy to it. I hope not, but there might be. Um, Yeah, no, I mean, definitely there needs to be some kind of protocol for people to actually make those complaints and for people to defend themselves because let's, you kind of brought up maybe that he's innocent in which case what what's happened is a witch hunt and we do need to have a system in place that allows for the defendant also allows for the people making accusations to both be treated fairly and yeah i i do feel that we are on the cusp of a me too movement let's talk a little bit about your chess did you ever play the uh the world cup uh, I played the World Championship knockout. Uh, that was a long time ago. That was uh, intense because uh, there I was playing playing to be women's world champion, and I was like, "Oh, okay, great." And uh, yeah, I trained really hard for that one actually. So when when I see the World Cup, I, I understand the players. I understand how much effort goes in and how you keep those dreams alive and how you make sure that you work so hard that the dream is a possibility but yeah I, I got to the second stage and I remember I remember in 2010 I think it was 2010 I lost to Humpy Canary and I was just one bad game at the beginning and then I couldn't I just couldn't score that comeback win and the very first time I played was in 2006 long long time ago these days <laughs> all the top prodigies are born in 2006 or earlier yeah. <laughs> <laughs> probably earlier <laughs> but for me it doesn't feel like it was that long and there is a different kind of situation that when you played tie breaks you played it immediately after your game finished so like so you'd have maybe uh, immediately by that I mean on the same night so I remember being knocked out at like 12 at midnight uh, it was just tiredness and Too tired again, to feel bad. I put in a lot of, yeah, I put in a lot of effort and both kind of taught, I mean, I, I kind of up my, 
my sporting regime and for those that know me they will know that I'm not of a sporty person to begin with and, and here I was actually doing sports I was training mentally I was also training on my openings and I gathered together some group of friends who were also helping me and yeah it was quite intense but yeah of course that kind of work isn't sustainable and also you've seen the prizes for women they're not that much so I couldn't financially sustain that one either so yeah and in terms of playing I am still a player <laughs> although I play very rarely but I will be playing in the world rapid teams that's going to be happening in Dusseldorf oh really I actually yeah it was a bit funny I actually thought it was a commentary job and then suddenly I get a text and it's from a VK and it says, hey, would you like to play? I, I, I'll be playing. And uh, Sadvakasov, Svidler, and some other big names will be playing. And I was like... On the same team VK? with you. Yeah. And I was like, who's VK? Who's VK? And I turn around because it was during Norwich House. And I look at David and he looks at me. He goes, Kramnik? And I go, no, no. <laughs> and I was like, Judith, <laughs> because I was doing commentary alongside Judith. <laughs> And I was like, check him up. And she, she checks and we, we compare telephone numbers. She goes, yeah, it's Kramnik. <laughs> wow. I was like, Kramnik wants me to play in his team. Okay. And deep breath. So now I'm going to go to Dusseldorf and play. And uh, I'm sh that will be quite exciting. I haven't played since February. So we'll see how that one goes. It'll be great. The team but... is called Chess Pensioners. So <laughs> they told me it's fun. <laughs> I'm like, yes, I hope so. Well, actually, you know, yeah. I, I he he texted me too, asked me to play in the team, but I'm busy. So um, make yeah. make us all proud. <laughs> <laughs> Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Um, actually, something you know, something you mentioned. I saw Eileen Robers uh, has some sort of a GoFundMe to fund her trip to the world cup so that's uh you're saying that you know you didn't make enough so you hey, like you had to like save up money to train for the the world championship run a few years ago so i mean that's i still find that kind of it's crazy insane, isn't it <laughs> it is really insane you know she, she shouldn't have to be worrying about those type of things um i do believe that it is the obligation of every federation to kind of nurture the male and female talents regardless of their rating if you just kind of put that to one side i'm obsessed with ratings but only because i think that in some ways they're quite bad and quite harmful yeah i think you just got to nurture the you just got to nurture the talent and just try to put some investment forward and i actually have this firm belief that when it comes to federations chess need to be dealing with chess on different levels you have it as a, a hobby like uh, actually not even a hobby as just a way to introduce people to the game maybe they don't even need to learn the rules it's just a social thing something to have a lot of fun so that's something that can can be addressed probably relatively easily and also a lot of people are helping that with like chess.com for instance they have a, a i think there's a huge number of people playing on their site. And I'm often seeing random people on planes playing chess, which is mm -hmm. quite cool. And okay, so you have chess as that kind of like 
pastime social game and then you have chess as a hobby for those people playing uh, club levels or, or wanting to take the game to the club level maybe even county level i do think there should be pathways for that and finally you have to develop your juniors you have to provide an infrastructure for them just if they want to get to the very top then this is the guidance this is how you can do it and you have to support your top players. I, I really do believe that. You have to make life easier for them. Life is difficult enough being a chess player. It really is. Yep. Uh, I mean, first of all, up until I started doing commentary, seriously, I was not earning much money and really was not earning much money. And it was a struggle. It was a struggle to pay for a coach. It was a struggle to pay for even to play in a tournament. I can remember playing in the European Women's Championship and. I decided to kind of cut, you know, share costs with someone and we accidentally chose some place which probably wasn't very nice, very, very cheap, but wasn't very nice. I mean, there were power shortages. My room didn't have any natural light. And I just thought, I can't deal with that stress of playing a tournament, which I ob objectively I can't afford to play in. And I think federations could be a little bit more proactive here a little bit more helpful and you know not necessarily by kind of providing money but certainly by creating opportunities for them to play so for instance you know if you go in touch with a sponsor organize a tournament for your top players give them the opportunity to earn something yeah and a hundred percent i agree with everything you said i also think that like this is, this is another thing that it's you know, in today's chess world, especially, you mentioned before, you feel like you have a like a duty to the public. And let's take a guy like Abasov, like who nobody really knew about. You know, he's a 2600 player, but nobody really knew about him. Now he has one big tournament um, and now he's going to go to the candidates. But think how many guys there are like in the chess world who are, you know, just as capable as him. And they didn't get this kind of opportunity or they, they're not getting these kind of opportunities. Um, and even five years ago, nobody would have cared. But now you have Gotham Chess making videos about him or Hikaru giving him shout outs on, uh, you know, in YouTube videos and stuff like that. So it's interesting because on one hand, it's easier than ever to become like a kind of household name. But at the same time, like, you know, Eileen Robers is another great example, somebody who's getting recognition all over the place online. And, you know, people who are, like you mentioned, the hobbyists, some of these people are like actually getting to know who she is, which is crazy. Like five years ago, that was not happening. That's happening now. But at the same time, she's not, but she's not getting the, the, she's not actually getting the, you know, the, the, the actual financial yeah. situation hasn't changed at all. It's just a matter of saying, oh, well, look, there's that player there. And that, but like, as a, as a matter of fact, I think that the, I, th I think you're on the money, like. You you also mentioned like investment. I think it's a like if you're a nine time British chess champion, you know you should be investing in that person. Now I'm, I'm biased, fine, but like objectively, you know, if if I didn't know you, I would still say, yeah, this nine time British chess champion. Yeah. Think how many girls will like look up to you and say, wow, she's a nine time British chess champion, and she's she's still playing too. Like maybe she goes for number ten, like or eleven, and like that that sends a really powerful message. Whatever money you put into that player is going you're going to get value out of it. It's not just so, so, I mean, obviously like we're on the same side about this, but I think that more federations need to think about investments because that's the only way the game is really going to grow at this point. Like we totally, 
totally agree with that. You know, I, the, the only way that you're going to get is you need those role models. I mean, just take a look at Norway, for example. I mean, it all started with Seaman Agdestein. You know, he Truly. was Norwegian number one, also a football player. And everyone became enthused with that idea. And then Magnus Carlsen happened. And, and one of the great things about being in Norway for such a long time was I got to see the rise of Magnus and how much of an impact he's had on the general public. You know, when he was 13 and winning things, he was on every single newspaper in Norway. And, you know, by the time he was 17, 18, literally everyone knew who he was. You know, I would have conversations with my hairdresser who could not play chess at all. She knew Magnus and she had an opinion about how he behaved at the World Blitz and World Rapid. <laughs> and, and That's a very like Scandinavian even, thing, yeah. Totally. <laughs> and, and it was one of the funniest things is now the World Rapid and Blitz it happens during this time in, in Scandinavia called Romul, which is the, t- the time period uh, after Christmas and, uh, and before like New Year. New Year's, yeah. And literally everyone follows the chess there. It's like a cultural thing. You know, they all turn on TV. They all watch Tossed and By explaining chess. It's a lot of fun. It's a very, very entertaining show. And everyone loves it. And this is just because of Seaman Agdestein to begin with and Magnus Carlsen. And if you can do the same thing, if you can kind of create kind of hype behind a player, people will cheer. You know, I, one of the that was also one of the things that I came to understand from working on the Champions Chess Tour. And uh, we had this big meeting before before the show even started. And they was like, we've got to share the players' stories. We've got to make people cheer for the players. And to some extent, we were quite successful because I, I can tell you, my mom called me up and she was like, Wesley, he's such a nice boy. He's very kind. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, yeah, he is. He really is. <laughs> and then I got a t- telephone call from David's mom. And David's mom, well, not quite a telephone call. I was chatting to David's mom. And she said the same. He's such a he's such a well-mannered boy. And he plays so aggressively and he's so nice. And, and you're in. Yeah, he had already two supporters. And I thought that was just amazing that they were really interested in how he did just because they liked his story. That's that's something I I also think the chess world sort of needs to catch up on is I think this is like maybe the first time since the 80s and 90s where there's like stars. Like obviously Magnus, you have Hikaru, but now there are these other guys like Fabiano in the US. Like people are, you know, he has this podcast um and certainly like around the world as well like you have the young uzbek guys i I think they're you know up and coming in their country and and well you know what you said about magnus i think it helped norway is a very small country compared to like the u.s so to have like such a strong prodigy in anything is going to turn heads i think that's something i've noticed in scandinavia about stuff like tennis as well um so but i guess what i want to say is when i was doing those interviews in berlin um one of the challenges I had is that it's clear that like a lot of like some of the players just, you know, they don't really get media training or they don't do interviews very often. So th- and then there's also the language barrier, right, about like English mm-hmm. is not always the first language. And um, in-person interviews are hard as it is. Right. But like uh, that's something I kind of noticed that I think, you know, part of the journey of making people into, you know, people you can root for is to get their stories out, to give them some personality and and. And to kind of flesh them out as, as people. It's one thing to just see Magnus on the screen, 
um, or like Wesley, you know, just like playing on a Zoom call. It's another thing to actually talk with him for 10 minutes after the game and hear his his stories and his thoughts just even beyond chess, just about like, how is he doing? How is he feeling? Because that's what, you know, I watch a lot of basketball. That's what, always what they do in basketball. It's, you know, there's a lot of drama around the game, but there's a lot of ways to kind of interact with the players of basketball, like in the NBA and get to know them. And so I think like, Chess.com is doing a pretty good job with that. Uh, and obviously, Champions Chess World was doing that long before. Um, but yeah. I, yeah. I completely agree with you. It needs to be done. And also, World Chess, you know, shout out to Berlin, where both of us worked. Uh, yeah. They were also doing the same things as well and just trying to get to the story behind each player and just learn a little bit more about them, have them be more than just a face. Because like when you think about it, chess is quite an introverted game, especially at competitive level, everything is silence. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and all you hear are the commentators, you know, trying to figure things out. But yeah, we don't know that much about the players. It's very difficult to kind of gauge what they're feeling, what they're thinking. And again, especially in classical chess. I mean, I've always said classical chess is is a demanding sport because it requires that viewers are pulled in for six, let's say five to six hours. And then at the end of the day, you don't know the person. You don't know. You don't know their story. Why can you root for them? No, no, no. I I think think companies are on the ball now about uh, getting the top players to share. And I, I think that federations, again, and also sponsors can help the rising stars just be articulate about their stories about expressing themselves and just just garnering that fan support basically yeah no 100 percent um i have a couple more questions i want to ask you first of all i know you now live in norway um so you know, what does a typical day in the life of Yovanka look like now with chess and commentating? I know you're going all over the place, but uh, but yeah, <laughs> maybe that's the answer. <laughs> that is the answer, literally. Like I, I, I'm kind of in Norway for two days and then I say bye-bye, I'm out the door and off I go uh, on a plane to do some commentary. So yeah, I mean, my days are kind of I mean, I guess I have to talk about my commentary days. I mean, I like to kind of form routines. I I like to get up at the same time. I like to eat healthy. I like to do some exercise. And then I spend a lot of time data gathering, just thinking about the tournament, just looking through the games, thinking about storylines of the players and also what I'm going to say. Because one of the things I've discovered when it comes to commentary is that commentating for five to six hours on the go is pretty difficult. And the first two hours, you're fine. You're talking sense. By the end of it, you're like, I don't know what is coming out of my Mm -hmm. mouth and whether it makes sense or not. And there it's quite handy to have certain phrases just stored up and certain things that you can say and sort of conversations that you want to discuss. So I tried to think about that, try to have them in bullet point version. Um, um, and then, you know, after commentary, I'm just drained. I'll be honest with you. And I normally just go back and collapse. I'm not the most like high energy person on commentary days at home. It's a different kind of kettle of fish, you know, and I'm a freelancer and you know what the life of a freelancer is like? You know, often you're like the travel age agent, 
you're business manager, you're also cleaner, you're also cook. I mean, I'm doing so many things that sometimes it's just lucky just if I can just sit down and look at some chess. I'm, I'm also trying to always follow the chess broadcast where I can, but life is busy. It's better to be busy, right? Of course, of course. It's uh, it's a luxury, kind of a luxury sometimes to be busy on you know the things you enjoy for the most part, right? Um, you also wrote a book, right? I I wanted to. I remember we did that walk in Berlin. I never. I wanted to ask you about that, but I think you wrote a you wrote like some sort of a chess romance book, right? Yeah. So I co-wrote I co-wrote a, a chess romance book. So uh, it's it's a kind of it's a lovely story. So I I became friends with James Essinger, the co-author in around about 2005 in some Hastings tournament. And he's, if you meet James, you will <laughs> basically recognize him for life. He's a very special, very unique character, like very bubbly, very quirky, very eccentric in the best possible way. And he was just really shocked when I told him what the life of a chess professional was, you know, how it was a big struggle for money, how it was a hard graft. And I shared with him a lot of stories and he was like, okay, you know what? we need to help you. I, 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 he, he was a, a PR agent and he said, like, well, let's come up with some projects. So we came together, we came up with some projects of how we could put chess on TV. Like we had this idea of having a, a quiz show, but like testing logic and testing mental agility, not just about chess, but using chess. And people were kind of into it, but then of course the big crash happened and then nothing came of it. Mm-hmm. And then, then we thought, well, actually, we've got a lot of information here about the game. So maybe we can make a, a nonfiction book. And again, there was a lot of interest, but it was risky times. And so they were like, you know, no, we, we'll put it on the back burner for a while. And when they say that to you, that kind of means, nope, nothing's going to happen. We're, we're going to forget about it. And so I was getting married and, and James has called me up and he goes, you know what? You know what I'm going to do? We're going to write a chess book together. And so we collaborated on this uh, romance book. So he would write, I would correct, I would <laughs> edit, edit, edit. I would say, no, change this. <laughs> and uh, that's how that one came about. It took a long, long time and uh, a lot of effort on our parts. But yeah, it's out there. And I have my fingers crossed that something incredible will happen in the coming months. I don't want to jinx it but it would be so good if it went to another level yeah in hollywood that would be, <laughs> be great that would be amazing like uh queen's gambit uh yeah know, something like that yeah like. It, it would be it would be so awesome yeah. i mean just to see the work up there on the screens and I mean, it would be different from what we've, there is a screenplay, it is, it is different, mm-hmm. but it's different in a really quirky, lovely, exciting way. And chess has never, ever been done like this before. So, so is this you yeah. teasing something or is this you, uh, you uh, hoping to tease something? Well, I, well, I'm kind of teasing something, but you know, again, in, in the world of Hollywood, nothing is set in stone until right. contracts have been signed and... <laughs> You have the production set booked and everything. So, mm-hmm. I, yeah, I don't kind of want to say, yeah, something big will happen. And then. Yeah, yeah, because... for sure. Well, I have uh, I have two more questions for you. It'd be quick. Uh, first thing I want to ask you, 
I think it's been kind of a theme of the whole conversation. So just in short, um, I think I'm going to start asking this question to more people. But what would you say is the biggest misconception about professional chess players? <laughs> well, first of all, it would be that we're all making good money. We're not. We really are not. It is a struggle for a lot of people to make ends meet. And secondly, that grandmasters means you're a grandmaster in life and intelligence. No. <laughs> They're not. Yeah. <laughs> and it took me a long time to realize that, actually. And I actually, I actually, on that subject, I feel that it's actually more, you know, it's actually more excluding of people if you build up chess being like this amazingly brainy sport. You have to be have an IQ of 150, you know, some physics degree or astronomy degree, yeah. astrophysics degree <laughs> <laughs> in order to be good at it. No, 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 no. You don't. You don't. You just have to be... <laughs> You have to be liking to play chess, just in like ball games and yeah. strategy, and that's it. On the contrary, as someone with both an astronomy and physics degree, I am terrible at chess. So could confirm you don't need those to be, you know, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, the final question I want to ask you is uh, your handle on, on Twitter, now X apparently, is the little hat. What is uh, What is the little hat referring to? I get asked this question a lot and okay so I'm you know if I haven't revealed my age already <laughs> you're gonna know now because I joined Twitter I think at the very beginning and I can remember having a conversation I'm gonna say 10 years ago uh, with my friend Stuart Conquest and also one of my students and she was like hey have you joined Twitter and I'm like I don't even know what it is and so we kind of joined it and they were like, handle, what would you like to be known as? And in 2013, no one was using their names. And so Steve was like, oh, Stu the Fox. And so he became Stu the Fox. And I was like, I'm not very good with kind of spontaneously coming up with creative answers. So I started thinking And at that time I lived in a place called Lillehatton. And Lilla means oh. little Hatton uh -huh. actually means some kind of rock. But I was like, I'm the little hat. <laughs> and that's I was like there you go the little hat that's how I became that and I did not dream that uh, Twitter Instagram would become this whole thing of where you actually put your face forward and it's your kind of your professional social media calling card and now I think it's too late I think it would be weird I had mm -hmm. actually had to change my Instagram yeah, it's yours is Jovi Hauska. Yeah, yeah, yeah Jovi Hauska. And the annoying thing is I couldn't take Yvanka Hauska because someone had already taken it and was pretending to be me. And I and I literally reported them to Instagram for so, so many times, but Instagram kept saying, no, we don't see any problem with that. <laughs> Although that also means that you've made it, right? When somebody impersonates you, that means you're... <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> They're not very active. <laughs> they literally have one picture of me and that's it. But that's they funny. get tagged in a lot of conversations. So maybe they're having a good giggle somewhere. Yeah. Well, shout out to uh to imposter Yavenka. Um yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, I guess on that note, this has been uh, a pleasure. Um I still uh, and I'll just say this to the listeners, I really don't know what my plans are for the podcast in the long term. I'm kind of going back and forth on 
pulling the plug or becoming more serious with it. I, I really don't know. I've be, I've been so busy with, you know, my real job that it's kind of difficult to see where this goes. But, you know, I'm grateful. I, it seems like I've made some really good friends in the chess world. And, uh, you know, it's it's nice to it's really nice to finally have you on the on the show. Like like I told you in person, like, you know, see you, you like the Champions Chess Tour during COVID. I was stuck in my room for months and months. And that was really like one of the one of the joys of my life and you know that was that was a risk that you guys took and it paid off big time so it's really a pleasure to like been able to get to know you a little better and i, I hope we do it again and hope to see you again in uh in the chess world somewhere soon so yeah thank you and it's been a pleasure likewise also meeting you david it's a lot of fun i really hope that we can do it again soon guys it's been a pleasure to do this for you guys so until next time hope you enjoyed listening feel free to subscribe to the podcast feel free to follow me and yvanka on twitter uh, at 64 podcast at the little hat and uh, until next time, take it easy and hope to see you there again.